Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Well, slancha, everybody. It is St. Patrick's Day. It is a Friday. That already makes it sound like a lot of fun. Sean Drotar, Sandy Club with you over at Mile High Sports. If you'd like to uh, interact with the show, you can do that. The caller and text line is 303-831-1340. Uh, we got like a we got like a St. Patrick's Day present. We popped up and there's these brand new fancy boom mics in the studio. They probably look really good if you're over at milehighsports.com slash watch or on the app where you can actually see the show if you'd like to. But uh, so that's that's nice. A little uh, Friday bonus for us for we'll, we'll jump into the avalanche right off the bat because you and I have been paying a lot of attention to them this week. A lot of avalanche fans are that they, they don't feel as if they're in a precarious position necessarily anymore, but it feels as if they're in a position of opportunity. And they took advantage of that, getting their second win on back to back nights. And this time for the first time in well over a month. Did they get a win from a goaltender not named Alexander Goryogev? Right. Goryogev. Johansson stepped in, and uh, I thought Ottawa played the Avalanche last night. And they certainly thought, for their effort, they deserved more than they got. The deal, though, with Ottawa is that they do give up a lot of goals. They had lost four of their previous five on the road in Chicago, 5 nothing. In Seattle, they actually won 5-4. Vancouver lost 5-2. At Calgary, lost 5-1. At Edmonton, lost 6-3. So you felt going into the game, you had a pretty good chance. Even with the weird goal they scored, which we may talk about a little bit in a few minutes, uh, you probably were counting on at least four and maybe even five goals, possibly more than that. But... They're coming back home, and that's always kind of an unpredictable game for a team coming off a long road trip. That's a good point, because you're right. That first game back can be kind of And the Avs are playing strange. the second of a back-to-back, back-to-back after a very emotional win in overtime the night before against Toronto. Yeah. So it kind of had a squirrely feel to it uh, almost right throughout. Uh, the Avalanche did get that early lead, which was good, but Ottawa hung in there. Uh, the Eller goal gave the Avs a 5-2 lead going to third period. I think things are going pretty well. Goaltender's playing fine. They get a couple, make it 5-4, and they get a 5-on-3 late in the game. Eller, by the way, you pointed out even yesterday, you were pointed out how uh, you basically were sort of ambivalent at the moment, waiting for something. He didn't look bad, but waiting for something to gel. Uh, Maybe that Get something. He, he was just last you don't, night. You don't have to be, you know, you, you get it's that goal. goal. It feels great. Doesn't have to be pretty. Doesn't have to be amazing. You know, you just kind of break that seal, and then you kind of feel like you're part of the guys. And am I mistaken, but didn't he score the game-winning goal to get Washington the Stanley Cup in 2018? That is correct, as a right. matter of fact. Yes, okay. he is. I thought he's, I ran he has had, uh, He has had those so he's big had moments before. he's had scoring big goals, big goals, though he doesn't score a lot of goals. And over the course of his career, of course, one of the reasons that he was uh, excited to join the Avalanche was to team up with uh, old line mate Arturi Lekkanen, which happened yes. for only a handful of games. But right, <laughs> and of course, Lekkanen out for four to six weeks with a broken finger. But Eller uh, stepping up and getting the job done here, they end up with that win. Did they open a Rocky Mountain Medical Clinic for injured hockey players. Seriously, where all six or seven, however many are out right now, can. 
hang kind out, of commune, convalesce, yeah. if you will. Right. Yeah, exactly. Commune and convalesce. Yeah. <laughs> it does feel uh, like that. But but in the final ten seconds, Johansson made a spectacular yes. save. Now Ottawa argued that the whistle came early, which was the opposite argument they made on the, on Eller, the Eller goal, goal when they thought it was icing and the whistle never came at all. And Eller was the one person on the ice who played to the whistle, as they say. And when and there was no whistle, he kept going yeah. after Ottawa had stopped it, it had bounced off of a defender. And so the icing had basically bounced off a of defender stick. So the, the icing gets waved off. But uh, Ottawa just sort of assumed it was icing. Mm-hmm. And and quite frankly, among the Avs and the, the Senators, virtually everyone stood there until Eller realized, wait a minute, nobody's... <laughs> But he's actually right. blown a whistle here. Let me just see what I what I can do. And uh, you know, to the what I also liked is you know you get the complaint, but to the to the refs' credit, I sort of I you know they just kind of gave him the look like what you didn't call it dead. <laughs> We're just standing there waiting for somebody to do something. And uh, and Eller with the heads up play, obviously that's obvious uh, a big one. Uh, Evan Rodriguez gets back in the uh, scoring column as well. He gets himself a goal. Nathan Nathan McKinnon with three assists. Miko Rantanen a goal, two assists. The big guys playing big again. And uh, and give it to Johansson because they have been trying uh, Eustace Annanen. They have been trying a uh, Kincaid. They have been trying mm-hmm. everybody to do some sort of performance that could at least make them feel that you could take your give out here and there until. And unless Pavel Francouz gets back to health, and I, I wouldn't say that you know Johansson looked extraordinary, but he looked at least last but night. He had to make thirty-two saves, thirty-two on saves. shots. Now that's not a great save that's percentage. Eight eighty-nine is not disastrous, but the the quality of the saves he had to make in the third period, particularly late in the game. I know he gave up two in the third. But and nine of those saves, by the way, were on the power play. Yes. So those aren't, and, those and, aren't easy. And you've got a five-on-three at the end of the game. And how that works out is that it, it ordinarily would have been a four-on-three. Of course, they pulled a goaltender. Um, so the Senators had the five-on-three skating advantage. Now, just for a few seconds. Sure. But it only takes, a few seconds. It only takes five-on-three <laughs> right. if you've got it for approximately 40 seconds, 30, 40 seconds, whatever it was. That, that's plenty of time. Especially if you win the faceoff, that's plenty of time to set things up. And uh, they had a terrific chance, and he stretched all the way from one side of the net, from the left to the right, mm-hmm. uh, to make a spectacular uh, diving save. May or may not have killed the puck, warning the whistle. Uh, you can argue either way, but he was there when it mattered and made the big save. And what difference does it make to the Avalanche if it's 5-2, 5-3, or 5-4? Zero. A win is a win, and they draw to within two points of second-place Minnesota, and all of a sudden, just three points mm-hmm. behind first-place Dallas, and they do have a head-to-head game they have one coming left. up with Minnesota and also with Dallas. And both of them, by the way, in Denver. Uh, that will, that will yeah. be on the end, end of this month, March 29th, against Minnesota, and then Dallas, the very next game on the Saturday April 1st. In Johansson's case, you hesitate to just anoint or anything. Obviously, this is Franco's job the second he can play, but nobody knows when that is. But for the Avalanche, you almost have to, in the backup role, have to go hot hand, right? And this is the first good performance from any backup you've had in a while. The, and Unan was all right in St. Louis. Remember that? He was, he was that okay. He was, game, okay. he was steady, but he only saw 20 shots. Johansson shot. Johansson's uh, 27. Uh, uh, Johansson looked at 
36 last year. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was not uh, consistent with our formula earlier this week that the Avs <laughs> hold the opponents to uh, uh, 20 to 25, and they had been holding them to uh, 19 shots per game in the previous three. Yeah, obviously this is a big win. You get a big performance out of Johansson, and hopefully that gives the Avalanche but another option right, there. Is there and, and I know Connor McDavid is worth the price of admission every night, maybe even worth a little more than the price of admission. But there is not a player in the NHL, including McDavid, who is going any better than Nathan McKinnon is going right Nathan now. McKinnon, Sandy, is the only player He'll in have 100 hockey. points this year. Only he has player a good in chance at 100 points, and he will be lucky to play 70 games. And get this, at even strength, now McDavid has the numbers he has. Right. At even strength, Nathan McKinnon is the only player in the NHL averaging more than a point a game. When you take into account. At even strength. At even strength. When Remarkable. it becomes hard to score. This is the best I've ever seen him. I play. agree. I think this is Over this is as good a, a run as he's had in his games career. Or longer. I, I think it's the best streak. He's not only a point a game, he's a goal a game guy, pretty much. Now last night he had three assists. Uh, at, but just amazing. You you forget sometimes he'll probably end the year with sixty to sixty five assists. He's a hell of a playmaker. And that's a good thing because he sure draws a lot of attention and he is uh, extraordinarily unselfish. I mean, remember this. The Avs last year won the Cup and Nathan McKinnon, a big part of that. Now, he played in 65 games. He had 85, he had 88 points. He's got 85 now. Right. Right now. And he's only played no, 56 think- games. He's only three goals short of last year's total. He's already evened assist in nine fewer games. But they have 15 games left. Right. You don't think he can get 15 points in 15 games? I do. Most certainly. Well, and maybe he's more. getting well more so than that now. I, I think he is right now, the way he's playing, and considering, again, the strength of schedule, as in not very strong, mm-hmm. from here on out, benefiting the avalanche, I fully expect him uh, to get to 100 points, I think, if I'm not mistaken, for the first time. Uh, you were correct. The most points he's ever had is 99 back in the 18-19 season. He's also reached 97 the year before that and 93 the year after that. So those were the big point years for him before. There's been a little bit of injury issues over the last three, but uh, wildly effective in that span. And I think when you you do talk about Nathan McKinnon, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, he's not going to get any heart consideration. The injuries have, have taken oh, that no. out of no, play. No, you can't give the heart to somebody who's missed 12 games, at least. Sure. I understand that. And McDavid. But is remember, hands he's down the heart. He's tied for eighth in the league in scoring with 56 right. games. With all those games missed. Nobody. Look at the other seven nobody ahead of him. Nobody saved ahead of him. I'm not even worried behind him. Here's the thing. The person, the, the next person behind him who has as few games and is anywhere on the scoring list is not even in the top 50. He's remarkable. In, that's it. He's the only guy in the top 50 goal uh, uh, points getters in the league that has as few as 56 games the top 50 players in the league and he's eighth he is having as good a season <laughs> as he's actually ever had i believe when that. he is on the ice i believe it has that. been absolutely remarkable and the pairing between him and miko ranton and oh. now has become <laughs> so electric as you pointed out you know mckinnon is unselfish well, the truth is the ranton is too Brandon had two assists last night. Yes, but uh, but Brandon has more goals. You're assists. starting to get a little, uh, you know, for for a. But Rand, how about this? We'll Brandon getting for a 50 little. goals, mm-hmm. which is a possibility, that and is. McKinnon getting 100 points. And uh, let's 
be honest, while McKinnon was out hurt, Rantanen carried the team. Rantanen has 45, 45 goals. Right. He'll get 15 50. games left. He'll get Rantanen is third in the league in goals, only behind McDavid and behind David Pasternak right. of Boston. Ooh, and that's only by one. Magnificent this year. Right. Right. So, I mean, Rantanen is way up there. There is a, you know, I, I guess to make the, the, Best hockey reference I can give you is going to go way back to find a team that was championship caliber that had that kind of talent and that kind of synergy on the front line. You're really going all the way back to Wayne Gretzky on Edmonton when he was flanked on one end by Yuri Curry, yeah. which just grew with the Avs, right. and then the other by a winger that turned into a center, Mark Messier. Yeah, You, you had these that kind of line. The, the, the Yari Curry to Wayne Gretzky vibe there because Curry was the big assist man. Understanding, of course, who he was sending that puck to. Curry could score just fine on his own as well. Plenty good at goal scoring. But sort of with that line understood, I'm going to attract a certain amount of attention. I'm going to send it to these guys. They'll finish it. McKinnon knows he can finish it every time they give him an opportunity to watch him skate through the entire team earlier on this road trip on a power play. Went literally by all four guys like they were traffic cones to score. But knowing that he draws that attention, he knows the absolute right time to pitch it over. And Rantanen understands when he sees that pressure go to McKinnon, rip it. Remember the game in Lake Tahoe where they had <laughs> they, were um, they were mic'd. People mic'd. Oh boy. <laughs> and the reaction to McKinnon <laughs> on the rush. Yep. He hadn't even reached the red line. Nope. And the reaction was, uh oh. Yeah. Literally. Yep. Yeah. And I can't remember. I, I can't remember which player it was, words, but yeah. But it was a pretty good There was an uh oh and then an oh boy. Louis? I, I think it may have been St. Louis. I don't remember that exact game, but I, I, I do remember, remember that moment. exactly who it was. But I remember the moment because that was a weird. There game have been a lot of uh oh moments over the last month from opponents as Nathan McKinnon is coming with great speed down the middle or one of the flanks. I a am lot not of sure. Uh-oh moments. There are is, is a better. I guess you do have to throw McDavid in there. I get that. McDavid can do almost oh, whatever, and McDavid's whatever he wants on a hockey uh, ice. Have you but at uh, speed, realized now that the Avalanche actually have a better winning percentage than Edmonton does mm-hmm. with the win last night? Both have 84 points, but Edmonton's played 69 games, and the Avs have played 67. And I'm not saying it's em- they're empty points. They are not empty points. And that combination of McDavid and Drysaddle is fantastic. Oh, they're, they're never empty points. The, they're they're the two they're the two leading scorers. Not the one, the two leading scorers in the league again. McDavid with the ridiculous 131, and Drysaddle at 101. The only two guys over 100, and they complement each other brilliantly. But McKinnon is sitting there at eighth, and Rantanen is sitting there at 14th, and and these guys have arguably. More impactful points when you look at the actual standings around the league. And as you pointed out, it it has to be, to a certain extent, really frustrating to be an Edmonton Oilers fan right now who looks at these one transcendent player in Connor McDavid and one all-star regular in Leon Dreisaitl, who is not just, by the way, uh, the wingman for... McDavid. He has, another, he has player. another one, too. The other one doesn't have 101 points. I mean, Dreisaitl is legit. But you have to look at it if you're Edmonton and wonder, why are we third in the Pacific? Why are we one point ahead of the Well, they've been fourth for a long time, and we, they just edged <laughs> right. ahead of Seattle. And again, I believe Seattle has a game they in do. hand. They do. And there's only one point difference mm-hmm. between the two How can you have that, that talent? Edmonton could finish as a wild and card and have to play Dallas or Vegas. 
Oh, that's got to be Or maybe the Avs in the first round. The Avs now find themselves only three points out of first place in the Central. That, of course, is with two games in hand on Dallas and only two points down in Minnesota with one game in hand. All of a sudden, the Avs almost, almost, they're not quite there, almost hold their fate in their own hands in what would be the last roughly dozen games of the year. And I think given all of the injuries that they've had, I think if you were to have talked to, say, Jared Bednar prior to the season, say, here's what you're going to miss in man games and from whom, one, I think he would have gotten a little more pale. And two, if you would have told him that that's all right, you could, might be in total control of your de- destiny in the division with about a dozen games left anyway, I am confident he would take it. I think the Avs have had a, a, an incredibly bumpy road. It has been very taxing, very difficult. But the situation based on where it is, where they could sweep this road trip with a win over a dismal Detroit Red Wings team on Saturday morning would be a monumental yes, success. You say miserable, 2-7-1 and one in its last 10, next to last, although the record, now, again, people often say if a team has won more games than it's lost in regulation, it's over 500. Detroit is 30-28-9. and nine. That makes that it hard to be under 500. they won 30 and lost 37. Right. Yeah, it's almost hard to be under 500 with the fact that you know, you'll call it 500 if it, the overtime loss is counted in there. There's only but a handful the, of teams the in the key league number to remember, and what I watch and what I'm sure most serious hockey fans watch at, at this time of year, two things. One is games in hand, if you have them. Yes. And the Avalanche continue to have one or two. In some cases, I, I don't know only, if anybody's only, played uh, 70 games. Nobody's played 70. Okay. Nashville is the lowest in the West yeah, with 66 yeah, yeah. games. Nashville, well, remember that Nashville Avalanche game earlier this year that got postponed? Mm-hmm. They're making it up. So both teams, as a result of that postponement, fell behind in a games behind. played. So in relation to the rest of the conference, even the rest of the league, they've been behind. But watch games in hand. And also look at performance within the last 10 games. Now, the East is stronger than the West, but look at some of the teams in the West over the last 10 games. You you got the Wild 7-0-3. You have uh, even Nashville 6-3-1, Dallas 6-3-1, Arizona 6-2-2, Vegas 7-3, Kings 8-1-1, Edmonton 6-4, Seattle 6-3-1, Vancouver 7-3. So it, it, these are teams you'd rather not play, the, the, the sure. hot teams. What a perfect time for the Nuggets to be on an eastern swing. Uh, again, not so much Toronto, 6-3-1 yeah. and one in its last 10, including the overtime loss. That's the one the other night to the Avalanche. But you get... Ottawa now five and five in its last ten. You get Detroit two seven and one in its last ten games, and uh, they still have a game left, I believe, with Pittsburgh uh, six three and one in its last ten, but uh, with a playoff spot fairly secure. So the Avalanche may have. I I don't know that Pittsburgh is likely to go well. They can't go up. They're, they're fourth in their division. Uh, they're they're going to be a wild card team. Um, 
whether it's the Islanders going ahead of them, which wild card spot they occupy, uh, they're in, they're in a pretty good spot to make the playoffs. But as a wild card team, Avalanche still have a chance to win the division. Yes, they do, and that that gives a them one. a lot of incentive. A good one, which is yeah. which is pretty remarkable. And, and you look at the record again in the West against playoff teams, ten five and three. So they, <laughs> with all the injuries, they've been able to rise to the occasion. Against the good teams. And they've been great on the road. Only and two teams in the entire league, Sandy, have more wins on the road. The Bruins, of course, and oddly leading all yeah, of the they've league. They've been a great road The New team Jersey Devils, 25-4-4, but only those two teams have more road wins than the Avalanches, 21. I, I agree. And against the East, doing some quick math here, 5-7-3. and three. Not quite as good, but if you add those numbers together... You have 15, 12, and 6 against playoff teams. That is not bad. That is not bad. And if you're winning close to three-quarters of your games against the non-playoff teams, you have a chance to win the division. And it is also realistic now, the Avalanche having 15 games left, to imagine that they could win 11 of those 15 and get to 50 wins. The Avs That could very well win the division. We'll be back in action on Saturday. They're finally off tonight. Get a little bit of a break. Uh, Jonas Johansson, this may be one of those games they look back on and realize it was pretty important. A nice performance there. And when you get talking Georgiev about those extra days. You know what? Rest. You might be able to set him against Detroit, as a matter of fact, as well. We'll see what Jared Bednar does. No major games uh, in the Western Conference impactful to the Avs tonight, so feel free to enjoy your college hoops. We'll look at the Denver Nuggets who got a win. That was expected, but did they get what they needed out of it? We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. Now you're in each other's face, spewing venom in your words when you spit them. You push, pull each other's hands, scratch, claw, pit them, throw them down, pin them. So lost in the moments when you're in them, it's the race that's a cold break controls. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy Friday. All happening at once. Happy March Madness. I mean, this, this is a good week. It's a good day. I mean, you know, be smart out there. We have so much of the, the green stuff, whatever your food coloring tonight ends up being in, but we have so much of it. And be responsible with it, but uh, have a great time tonight Denver because uh, especially if you're a Denver sports fan things are looking up the, the Avalanche are the hottest team in the NHL now winning four in a row the Denver Nuggets are the top team in the Western Conference a four and a half game lead over the Sacramento Kings with a game last night against the Detroit Pistons in which the result whether wins and losses were going to occur was not really in doubt Detroit is not trying to win basketball games. They scored 14 points in the final period of yep. the game. But we but were, were concerned. up six at the half. They were up six at the half. And that means that the Nuggets, who re- evened their record, Sandy, on the road at 17 and 17, had to play Nikola Jokic 34 minutes, had to play Jamal Murray 39 well, minutes. Now, uh, they I'll got, take issue that they had to play Murray 39 okay. minutes because I understand the game was, relatively speaking, in doubt at the start of the fourth quarter. Okay, you have to play him some in the fourth quarter. But they pretty quickly ran that lead up to 
double digits. And again, I think they're playing with fire, giving Murray more minutes than Jokic gets. And it's largely because they've gone back to playing Thomas Bryant a little bit and really not playing Reggie Jackson at all. I'm, I'm and okay he's with the that. nominal backup point. I'm okay with that, but you can't have Murray playing 39, right. 40 minutes. Uh, 39 minutes in a game they win by 19, that's insane. Yeah, it insane. does seem like way too much. And he had a good game, 715 oh, shooting, I'm not, I'm 19 not points, doubting that he played 10 well. assists, uh, six boards, plus 21, led the team. He, he was really good. Uh, but it didn't feel like, you know, I'm with you, 39, um, 39 minutes almost feels like, unless it's a playoff game and it goes to overtime, I don't want Jamal Murray playing that many minutes when we've seen him have to miss quarters of late with soreness. That seems like a risk. And and I get that. Now, Jokic uh, was brilliant in his uh, sort of methodical way, 30 points, 10 boards, uh, nine assists. Our friend, uh, as our friend Chris Marlowe likes to call those a... a, a Sambor special, uh, yeah. the, the one-off from the triple-double, which he's had quite a few of them, but 14 for 18 from the field. And, and yeah. that's not only the efficiency, of course, is remarkable, but there have been some games of late. And this we've seen this with Nikola Jokic in the past, not in the recent past, but in the past, where Jokic at times becomes a little passive, tries to play make his team into position and doesn't go ahead and do what he can do and take the game over. And he takes the game over in very different ways. But Nikola Jokic is a wildly efficient player from the field. And I do like seeing virtually, and I, I wouldn't even say virtually, the truth of the matter is you have the back-to-back MVP. At the end of the game, I know he racks up assists. I know he racks up rebounds. I know he gets the triple doubles. I love that. But I want to see Nikola Jokic leading a team in shots. That guy needs the ball the most. He's your best shooter. He's your most efficient shooter. He's your most effective scorer. I like it when I see Nikola Jokic with a line like 14 for 18 as opposed to the occasional 4 for 7 or 4 for 6 that we you see You don't from see him. that We don't as see it as much, much anymore, anymore, but we've seen it lately. Yes, I agree. And again, I, I would never say that a player is too unselfish, but I think there are times, and he's had a better sense of this in the last, three, maybe even four years, there are times when they simply need him to be a scorer and just right. take the game over with his scoring. And I'd love at times to see it happen earlier in a game so they can get a lead right. and put put teams uh, on their heels. But it feels a little bit that just Jokic's M.O. is he's going to work on getting the offense diversified to try to get as many guys hot as possible, see who's got their shot going, and then continue to plot from there. And, and you know, far be it for me, to tell Nikola Jokic how to play, because as I've constantly said, he plays the game of basketball like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix. He just sees the code. And, uh, you know, nobody else has really played the game like this at this level, at least not in modern basketball. So I, I get that. But this was the kind of performance that I get heartened by where when, when I see those numbers from Jokic, what I kind of see is a guy that looks at it and goes, okay, we're not going to lose tonight. Enough is enough. And he can put the game on, on on his back, and he can put the team on his back. He can do all those things. But it's almost as if he treats it as a last resort, which is what makes him an unselfish player. But there's probably a happy medium in some of these games that you'd like to hit. But certainly, it's great to get the win. It's important. It's a shame that you couldn't get a little more rest for Jokic and Murray. We talked about how important that was yesterday. But there were some accomplishments, too, 
We talked about that bench getting more time. Christian Brown, 20 minutes off the bench. Yeah, I love uh, that. Thomas Bryant goes from the DNPCD to playing 13 minutes again. Yeah. These guys are only going to get rhythm on the floor. Yeah. And so that part, at least, I think mission accomplished. Well, Brown especially, for me. And I've been on this track all year long. Uh, I thought he should have been playing 15 to 20 minutes a game from the beginning of the year. I thought he had proven himself as easily being mature enough to handle that kind of load. And he is a willing participant at both ends of the floor. He's unselfish on offense. He'll guard any position and virtually anyone on defense. Uh, I don't know that I'd call him a defensive stopper per se, but I've seen him play against the LeBrons of the world and hold his own. And Detroit obviously doesn't have anyone like that. So I I thought, you know, again last night when he was getting significant minutes, that he was a difference maker. Not the best player on the floor by any means, but a difference maker. And that makes the bench better when he plays because he can fill in and provide whatever you really need. Yeah. You need defense, he's the guy to provide it more than any other player coming off their bench. If you need unselfish play, I mean, the man, uh, shot selection is impeccable. He's shooting over 50% from the field. He's shooting over 40% from the three-point line. He's not a particularly good foul shooter. He wasn't that way at Kansas, but from the field, he exercises extraordinarily good judgment for a rookie in terms of shot selection. There's no downside to playing him. It, He's not a mistake player. What I like about Christian Brown and what I like about where I, Michael Malone, is the idea that you can really overlap. I mean, Christian Brown, to me, looks like a younger version of Bruce Brown. Yes. Who is another player that the way you described it, what do you need today? You need a little more defense? Okay. You need a little bit of scoring? Okay. You need a little bit, you know, uh, Bruce Brown's the guy that he kind of fills in the cracks. And uh, Christian Brown is much the same way. They do it in different fashions. I think Christian's a little bit of a better defender. I think Brown's a more diverse scorer and probably, a, you know, a, a oh, more sure. diverse player as a whole. We know he plays backup point it, for many cases, most of the time for the Nuggets. But, there's similarities there, and that that what a luxury. That's that's what's interesting about and, and frustrating about the Christian Brown situation. You have two guys that, regardless of situation, you're ahead, you're behind. You just need things to settle down. You need to slow the pace. You need to pick it up. You have two guys in Bruce Brown and Christian Brown who can do whatever you need in any game situation. So for Malone, I'm with you. That's that's a luxury that he needs to start taking more advantage of. These are both high IQ basketball players who play an unselfish brand of basketball. And the more you can have those kind of players on the floor, the better. And one of them, quite frankly, only got one minute. I I, I give him credit, too. I should put Vlako Chanchar in there, who is also a guy that very rarely is in the wrong place. Does he have some limitations at the NBA level? Yeah, sure. he does. That's why he's a bench player. But another guy that is not a mistake player. This is a, a, a heady bench that GM Calvin Booth has assembled. And I agree. It feels like Michael Malone hasn't quite wrapped his head around how to use it. And I, I don't understand the reluctance on his part when it comes to Brown in particular. Uh, but 
sometimes with a player like Chanchar. Now, if you want to make Chanchar and Bryant or Bryant and Chanchar your backup centers, and it depends on the matchup, Mm -hmm. okay, who's in the game coming off the bench for the opposition? If it's another big, as in 6'10 or taller, okay, Bryant might be the better choice. But Chanchar is thick enough. Yeah. So if the big yeah, he's coming off sturdy. the bench is 6'9 or shorter, Chanchar might be the better matchup. Chanchar obviously has more scoring range. He can shoot the three ball. That's not really Bryant's game at all. But Bryant can score. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think the difficulty for Bryant here has fundamentally been adjusting from 22 minutes a game to, at best, 12, 13 minutes yeah, a game. I agree. And sometimes a lot less than that. It's rhythm for And him. coming off the bench when he was starting so often this year because Anthony Davis in Los Angeles continues to be hurt all the time. Right, right. And he just hasn't had that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, he can score. You go back to the beginning of the year before the trade deadline, he had a run there, and yes, he was starting. But he had a run there, 19 points against Atlanta, followed by 18 against Charlotte, followed by 21 against Miami, followed by 19 more against Atlanta, followed by 29 against the Kings, the second best team in the West. So, And in that game, by the way, against the Kings, a two-point win that the Lakers had over uh, those Kings, 136 to 134. In 34 minutes, he had 29 points and 14 boards while going 12 for 14 from the field. So the yeah. capability is there. I agree with you. I think it it is not a question of effort for Bryant. Right now it is a question of rhythm. Well, he's, he's 25 not, years old. And, he, and he's 25. He's a kid. And so he's he's not getting the consistent time. It's, it, he does appear to be thrown off a little bit. But to that extent, I look at that a little bit like we looked at. Uh, you brought up Josh Manson for the Avalanche last year. Yeah. A guy that you knew what he could do. But it, for whatever reason, he, the situation changed. It, it, it was difficult to get your sea legs, and it took him a while. I think Thomas Bryant, I'm not seeing a lack of effort. I'm not seeing any frustration. I'm seeing uh, a situation where you have a younger guy that is trying to figure out how to stay ready for an unpredictable number of minutes when earlier in the season he was counted upon to get a regular 20-plus uh, minutes a night. And that's to be expected, quite frankly. So it, it, that, to my mind, is one of the things that Michael Malone has to start handling that he has to understand, I need to be able to get Thomas Bryant some more consistency so he can feel more comfortable and he can help the team more than he has been. Because obviously, the ability is there. This is a guy that even post-trade is still averaging over 10 points a game on the season. So there's a valuable player there. And uh, I do think by the time this is all said and done, if the Nuggets are really honestly going to make a run, to the NBA Finals, you are going to need Thomas Bryant to play an important part off the bench to do it. I think this weekend's games, Saturday and Sunday, afternoon games in Madison Square Garden and in Brooklyn against the Nets, big games. And back-to-back, you're going to need your bench in those games. And how he deploys... His personnel, you know, you you could start the bench guys last night and beat Detroit, more likely than not. You'll have to really manipulate your combinations against New York tomorrow and Brooklyn yeah. on Sunday. Give, That's give very important. Credit, by the and way, these too. are big games. Uh, you they need are. to, to me, 
Um, certainly they're winnable, but you need to split them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you lose to the win in Detroit last night, didn't really it didn't give it didn't you gain you anything, right? You have to be able to gain something out of it. And, and give Detroit credit. We talked about this. I always feel a little bit for players on teams that are tanking because it's not their fault. Uh, the Pistons put seven guys in double figures last night. They did. I mean, they, they, did. they, they were, got a bunch of guys hurt. They were game. A bunch of guys. Hurt. They were they're just really they're game. just outmanned. But yeah. that that team oh. was game. I mean, they they were they were good to go. Uh, I thought they played well. Casey's a good coach. I think they're just limited by the the roster yeah. and the injuries. Absolutely. That's just the they, reality of it. Limited by their youth. They've got a ton of injuries. Uh, they beat the Nuggets at home mm-hmm. earlier this year. They didn't have as many injuries back then. But the big games now are New York, Brooklyn, and Washington. Uh, as you said, fifth and sixth place teams on the weekend, and even Washington is a play-in team. Right, the last now. of the play-in teams yes. in the East at the present time. My point being that the game will mean something to the Washington Wizards when the Nuggets uh, do play them on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I believe they get a little break after the back-to-backs. They get yes. two days. Uh, two days the on the road. They get to sightsee. Go to the Smithsonian. The Wizards, right? Lobby someone on K Street. I don't know. And they come back home and they get Milwaukee and Philadelphia. Yeah. Welcome back. New Orleans with or without Zion. Uh, If it's with Zion by then, and that's. I mean, you. What? Sandy, you've uh, got to get these. And you're exactly right. You finish this road trip. You have. Here's your next. Here's your next five opponents Milwaukee at home, Philadelphia at home, New Orleans at home. Then you have to go to Phoenix. Yes. And then Golden State comes here. Right. Those are. Golden um, State doesn't win on the road. That game actually doesn't worry. They are a disaster on the road for some reason. Doesn't worry me as much, but the others, all problematic. And there's a possibility, of course, Durant could be back for that game in Phoenix. We'll take a look at uh, at more hoops, and of course, before we get to that, you have an opportunity to uh, well get 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 on your app, get ready, do a little something because you don't need to find a pot of gold to strike it rich this March. Instead, win money on your tournament wagers with SuperBook Sports. SuperBook features the best team of odds makers in the business, so they're the safe bet when it comes to sports gambling, and you have a direct line to their experienced staff behind the counter in Las Vegas. They also have one of the most extensive betting menus around, so no matter what you want to wager on come tournament time, Superbook is sure to have it. So download the Superbook app and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. A gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll talk about the madness next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Oh, it feels like a Friday. I just, I just woke up today in a better mood, Sandy. You know, sometimes, sometimes, honestly, you know, it's very different. We used to work rather late at night, right? Yeah. To the point where, you know, you come in to work on one day and you leave on another day. Correct. And as a result for... Wow, I mean, given you know the time together that we've done on it, basically, you and I have held down one of these night slots in town for fifteen oh, years, at least, <laughs> either together or separately. Yeah, right. and um, so I'm sort of accustomed to never really knowing what day it is. 
it's just a day I go to work or a day I don't go to work. I don't really focus on what day it is. But I woke up today after the snow yesterday, RDL melted. I know yeah. it's still cold, but the sun Beautiful was out. Night. And uh, oh, it felt like Friday. Then it was St. Patrick's Day to boot. And then I remembered, wait a minute. We still have basketball for the next three days. Uh, the tournament in Denver got going this, this morning. It, it did with Baylor and UCSB, uh, Cal Santa Barbara. And uh, Cal Santa Barbara was competitive for a fairly long time I mean, before have Baylor pulled away. And that's kind of been the story today that there have been some interesting starts, but then the dominant team uh, takes over. And you saw that with Xavier and yeah. uh, Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State with a 43-point first half. And you half. saw it a little I mean, bit with St. Mary's and VCU. A game mm-hmm. that was close in the first half. St. Mary's pulls away, wins by 12. Not as much madness today. Uh, we talked about Furman at length yesterday. Uh, Princeton over Arizona was a shocker. Yeah. And uh, how about Arizona uh, going out and USC going well out you you told everyone usc was day. going out because you've talked about the coaching job oh, he's done he's and he's usc off. again wastes some extraordinary talent gets bounced in the first round oh but, they got whipped by michigan state yeah. they had one nice run after they got behind seven eight nine points in the first half they made a nice run toward the end of the half they tied the game at halftime second half starts and michigan state builds a lead uh, holds on wins by 10 although they missed a ton of free throws at the end of the game, uh, I mean, they were up nine with three minutes or less remaining in the game. They were never in danger of losing, but they probably, by all rights, should have won the game by 15 to 20 points uh, for all the free throws they missed, and they're the best free-throwing team all year in the Big Ten. So it's kind of funny to see him missing the free throws. Uh, the other highlight of that game was that uh, Tom Izzo, with his team ahead by five or six points in the second half, uh, called a timeout, took his whiteboard, and snapped it over <laughs> his knee. Snapped it in two. I don't know if he was able to diagram anything on it in the ensuing timeout. I assume they had a spare whiteboard because I have a feeling it wasn't and uh, hasn't been over the years the first time Tom Izzo has broken a whiteboard. Probably not. It well Probably worth not. it. Uh, they make more of those. But so I they love do Tom get Izzo. the win. I, I uh, love Tom Izzo, at least as a coach. I, I think I don't know him. Uh, he and George Gwazdecki, who is a friend of mine, uh, were together at Michigan State, mm-hmm. and they are very, very close oh, friends. T- and I heard takes, a lot of Izzo stories from George. His teams are grinders, which I respect a lot. Uh, even when they don't have their best, they, they never seem to roll over. Uh, St. Mary's surprised me a little bit, Sandy. I thought they were sort of I, – I didn't think they necessarily lose, but I thought they were overrated well, as a was, five seed. Uh, that was one of my and upset I'm, picks, I'm not, 12-5. Uh, yeah. I thought VCU could beat them, but uh, St. Mary's uh, – Pulled away in the second half. And, uh, you know, Xavier's like Gonzaga. They're, they're one of those teams that used to get into the tournament. People's like, wow, they're, they're an Xavier underdog. A they're, they're, they're a mid-major darling and everything. And now they're establishment. Yeah. So they, there's more pressure on to the point they really are. where they're in the with Gazaga three minutes land. to go in the game, Kennesaw State was about to go to the foul line, make two free throws, tie the game. And as the timeout is called uh, and players are leaving the court, two of the Xavier kids started screaming at each other and it took uh, someone on the bench actually, because the sort of conflict continued. Uh, it looked like they were going to go. It really did. So they were feeling the pressure, but maybe that was a good thing because it looked like they were sleepwalking 
through large segments of the game. But they pull away and beat Kennesaw State 72-67. So we haven't had uh, the big upset, uh, the likes of which we had yesterday. Um, Auburn uh, beating Iowa, that was a nine beating an eight. That's not an upset. Uh, Penn State pulverizing Texas A&M as a 10 seed, a mild upset. And, of course, you had Princeton and Furman major upsets. Uh, Princeton, a 15, beating a two. Uh, that's kind of old hat for Princeton. Yeah. They, they seem to do and you that know, it regularly. Couldn't have happened to a better program in Arizona. So. Well, that's that's another, <laughs> another bonus. Uh, At least uh, it bonus. was for me. Yes. Arizona <laughs> so, and USC losing made me very, very happy. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I was pleased about both. There's a the, there's a word for that, by the way. If you, yeah, uh, I know you if, if anyone would uh, like to use it, your big word of the weekend that uh, when you like to starts uh, with S. Yes. German, with uh, Schadenfreude. Yeah. The uh, enjoying the uh, discomfort Misery of others of others yeah. in this case and uh, Arizona basketball. Yeah, I I will. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Well, the, and, you know, it's funny about, just, you know, uh, last karma, year, whatever you want to call it. Last year, Bill Walton uh, talked about how the Pac-12 was getting rooked by having so few teams in. Uh, he thought there should have been more. And actually, he was sort of proven right because the Pac-12 did pretty well in the tournament. Uh, other than UCLA, not so much this year so far. Arizona and USC are two biggies both going down now arizona state is yet to play but they had to uh qualify for the field of 64 through the first four game and they did manage to beat nevada fairly handily but uh obviously as an 11 seed an underdog you know it's uh, funny i'm sitting against here tcu i believe literally tried to google really quickly arizona basketball violations and I realized that um, you'll be reading for two no, hours. Y- you literally had to put Arizona basketball violations and and then put the year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which year? Yeah, just, which year? Which year? How many for this year? You literally had to do it. It was just a giant pile of of things. So uh, they go down. Obviously, some. Uh, uh, this feels less ripe for upsets today than some of the matchups. It but does, but as we see it at halftime, eleven Pittsburgh is seven up on Iowa on Iowa State. Yeah, uh, but NC they were State, up. 13 to yeah, 1 at the yeah, beginning kinda, of the game. There's, a, there's some one. West Virginia vibes going on in that in that start. North Carolina State 11 seed is hanging with Creighton at halftime 26-28. Yeah. The, the upset particular I didn't I didn't call it, but I definitely picked them to cover with our friends over at Superbook Sports. Uh Iona coached by one Rick Pitino. And, yes. and the, put it this way, as soon as Iona loses, that'll be the end of Rick Pitino's career at Iona. Because it he would seem has that way. Did you hear what he said? to have resurrected day? his career and will be back at a bigger program next year. St. John's or Georgetown. Looks and, like, uh, and, and that will get him back to the Big East, where he made his name as the head coach at Providence uh, for many years. And uh, I don't know if you saw it the other day. Uh, Rick Pitino said, I want to coach into my 80s. Mm-hmm. If he can stay out of trouble, he's right. a good coach. Speaking of guys that he had some uh, violations. He last until his 80s. Uh, he says he loves his kids at Iona, and he has a good, experienced team coming back. So Rick Pitino may, in fact, unless it's a major financial offer, stay, stay at Iona because they'll be better than either St. John's or next Georgetown se- next year, next year whether Rick Pitino moves or not. Iona will be a better team next year with 
you know, actual juniors coming yeah. back to play in their senior year at Iona, <laughs> unlike some of these it's other schools, even schools that don't win very much, they've got guys leaving after a year or two. Kind of an unfair yeah. comparison, but I, I look at Rick Pitino's career, and to a certain extent, I sort of liken it to Barry Bonds, in so much as you you were good enough without the cheating. You didn't need to do the oh, cheating. Oh, I I, <laughs> That's I, the way I completely I feel with, agree with a guy like Barry I Bonds. Like agree. you were you were going to be a Hall of Famer without the cheating. You right. didn't you didn't need to do it. Rick right. Pitino, kind of the same thing. You're good enough. You, you could have done it without all the nonsense. And he, he's uh, a coaching a lifer, though. Uh, he coached abroad mm-hmm. for I think a year. Yeah. And then he took the Iona job, which uh, is actually, uh, having grown up in that neighborhood, that's not a bad job. Jim Valvano made it a good job in the 1970s. Just getting started out there. Before going to NC State. And uh, Iona down three to UConn. I expect that game to actually be close. Uh, I do, too. Uh, If I'm UConn, and I think UConn's pretty good, but I wouldn't want to face Patino. Right. And a season I'm nervous about that. In the first round. Yep. I, I, I... I would expect to win the game, it. but I'd be nervous. Hey, I, I know the competition is different. UConn's 25-8. and eight. Iona went 27-7. and seven. The other games coming up soon, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, fresh off of its win, will take on Purdue. That's expected to be pretty one-sided. I mean, uh, Purdue's favorite you would think. 23 and a Purdue's half. Purdue's number one seed. Uh, Providence and Kentucky will tip off later, as will Drake and Miami. That's a potential. That's a sleeper right there, I like too. it. I, I like Drake in that game. Grand Canyon and that Gonzaga. That's probably uh, an easy one for Gonzaga to get over. The Florida Atlantic-Memphis tonight game I find very intriguing. Penny Hardaway getting Memphis into an interesting spot. And the other, if you want to take the deep, deep, deep upset pick, I can't quite can't quite call it. I want to, but I am taking them in the points. Give me Montana State to cover against I agree. State. At least tonight. take the points in that game. Yeah, don't I, you I think, think that's going to be uh, a, You don't have to pick Montana to win, to win it. Straight up, Montana State. But KSU right now at um, eight and a half. I think that's too much. I think it'll be interesting. The Denver I, Broncos I, I have made a whole bunch of moves, changing probably the way that they're going to handle offense. From CBS News Colorado, our friend and anchor there, Justin Adams, will join us to break it all down next on My Life Sports. But that's okay. I'll just avoid the hole so you sleep fine. I'm driving here. I sit cursing my government for not using my taxes to fill holes with more cement.